Thanks, Rod. Great to see you all. If you're new here, beetles and puddings won't be mixed together. If you heard that, and I'm slightly concerned that would be the case, it's, it's not. Um, my name's James, I'm one of the leaders here. If you're new, it's great to have you with us. I hope you, church family, had a good uh, New Year and Christmas. It's great to all be back together. If I sound a bit husky, I've had a cold for the Christmas and New Year, so sorry about that. And if I shout at you later, it's not because I'm angry, it's just because I'm deaf and I can't hear anything because I've got an infection. And if I shout during the preach, Nigel will graciously turn me down. Um, or if I speak too gently, turn me up. So, um, we're uh, taking a, a pause in our series. We're going through 1 uh, Corinthians, uh, which we're going to finish uh, this January. We're just taking a pause at the start of the year, new year, 2020, new decade. And uh, going to spend some time thinking about what God wants to say to us as a church. We call this a Vision Sunday. We'll, we'll have them from time to time, patterned throughout the year, just to allow opportunity for break in preaching series for us to hear what God's saying to us now um, and to give a kind of fresh sense of uh, fresh eyes on what God's saying to us and allow it to shape our life together as a church family. Um, so that's what we'll be doing today. Um, if you want to turn to Matthew 28, that's what I'm going to be uh, speaking from in a bit. Um, every week I take a walk along uh, Pakefield Beach. Uh, park up, you know where Pakefield Place is, I don't know if you've been down there in Lower Stoft, and then I park in that car park and I uh, do a prayer walk up the beach. Uh, I walk it every week. Every week's like walking a new beach. You see different roots from trees, different debris, different metalwork, different brickwork. Some poor folk's house has collapsed onto the beach, and it's a shifting uh, scene. Um, but there's also some permanent landmarks and features of the walk. So um, as I walk along, there's this concrete shelf, which I'm sure must have been a concrete wall to stop people falling off the cliff, but itself has fallen off the cliff and is on the beach, broken in half, and it's permanently there and basically immovable. Um, and there's a, a concrete tunnel a bit later on and a, a coastal watchtower. There's some permanent landmarks. The shifting scenery, as I kind of walk down the beach, brings a kind of beauty to it, a beauty to the coastline, an intrigue in the changes and excitement in the variety and the change of it. And, yeah, just an intrigue about the beach. It's kind of almost like a new walk every time I walk it every week. It looks completely different. But there's also um, those permanent landmarks which bring a sense of security, a sense of um, purpose, a kind of I, I get my bearings kind of know where I am on the walk. I know how far I've come and how far I've got to go when I see the concrete shelf and the tunnel, the coastal watchtower. They're permanent landmarks along the way that bring a sense of security, of purpose and of direction. They stop me from feeling a sense of drift or uncertainty or feeling lost when I'm on the walk, although I, get, I understand it's not that complicated to see on your left. Land on your right, go forwards, go backwards, not tricky. At the same time, you get the, the picture. Um, and I sense that uh, God's saying, as we're together uh, on a journey as a church family, there'll be shifting scenery. Things come and go in church life, don't they? They change over time. There are ministries that come and go. There are church family who are with us for a time and then gone. Um, there's ways of doing things that differ from time to time and season to season. And it brings a beauty and excitement and intrigue to church life. There's also some things in church life that are permanent landmarks of church life. They constantly remain and are always the case. 
they um, bring a security to church life. They bring a sense of, I know where we are, uh, of, of not drifting or feeling lost, but a sense of this is where we are in this moment. And a sense of direction, this is where I'm headed. This is where we're headed as a church, and this is where we're going on the journey. And I feel like uh, this morning that God wants to highlight one of those landmarks this morning, to bring a sense of security, of secure purpose and direction, and understanding of where we are and where we're headed on this journey as a family. So let's have a read together. Um, Matthew uh, 28, verses 16 to 20. We'll be, if you're familiar with the Bible, chances are you're familiar with this passage. This is Jesus speaking um, in this passage as well. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I wonder if you've um, done that thing recently where you, you intend to go somewhere and do something and you arrive in that place and then go, what did I come to this point for? <laughs> what for? I did it last night. I went upstairs to get something. I can't even remember what I went upstairs to get. Come back down. Jess, do you remember what I went upstairs for? There's somewhere between A and B, you kind of lose the thing that you, you went for, or um, as sometimes happens, you go upstairs to collect the washing, and you tidy up the children's books, and collect up all the mugs, and tidy away some of the clothes, and then walk downstairs, and go, what did I go upstairs for? Washing. Didn't even do the thing I went upstairs for. Um, that kind of thing can happen all the time, can't it? And this passage can be a bit like that. It's very familiar yeah, but it's key to understanding what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be part of God's family. And the words can be so familiar, they kind of lose their impact and their meaning at times. Um, we can be in the middle of a journey as a family and forget what we're on the journey for. Forget where we are or where we're headed and what our purpose is as a church, as a people. We can be distracted by other things, peripheral issues, uh, issues of style rather than values, Theological controversies, disagreements, our own insecurities, church issues, whatever it be, they can sidetrack us from this permanent landmark of church life that brings fresh, ongoing vision um, for us and focus as a family. It's a reminder of what our purpose is. And our purpose is exactly this. It's Jesus' words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And his words to us now. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's to frame everything that we do as a church family and church life. And so I'm really grateful to Jim Grieve, who's helped me, helped me, he's done it, um, make this, this frame for us. That everything we're to do in church life is, is to be framed by the Great Commission. That if you like, our life is here. There you are. There you are. You're all in there. Hello. Um, but framed by this command to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That everything that we are, everything that we do, is to be framed by that great commission. So, it's pretty special, that, isn't it? Jim, Jim's got a bit of a talent there. 
Thanks, Jim, for making that. Shall we thank Jim for putting that together for us? Thanks, Jim. Um, and we'll, we haven't actually worked out what we're going to put in the middle, so suggestions welcome. Um, maybe a you know, church family photo or, or something like that, or just the name of us. Um, but we'll, we'll work it out. But any suggestions are very much welcome. But this is a constant reminder. It'll be a visual reminder here on a Sunday that this is to frame everything that we do in church life and what we do as a family. A visual reminder that we're told by Jesus to make disciples. Um, it should be the lens through which we consider every aspect of church life. So whether it's we're thinking about our house group or uh, the White House service or whatever work we're doing, as it's worship, if it's preaching, Sunday mornings, whatever it might be, should be framed with this command from Jesus to us as a family to go and make disciples of all nations. So there's three, three things for us to consider um, as to ensure that we complete this mission that Jesus has given us. The first is mission source, the mission command, and then finally mission support. The first thing is that Jesus is the source of our mission. Verse 16, if you have a look, the disciples are told to go to Galilee by the women who'd seen Jesus resurrected. And they came to Galilee to see someone who's dead. <laughs> so if you think about it, go to Galilee, you'll see the person who died on Friday. Or whenever it was, it would have been some time ago. Um, that's an odd one, isn't it? Difficult one to explain to your boss at work or your work colleagues. Where are you off to? Just off to see Jesus in Galilee. Oh, the guy who died that publicly executed. Okay, have a good time. Um, or even the emotional risk of it. Yes, I'm going to go to Galilee and see Jesus. What if he's not there? What if what the women have been saying isn't, isn't the case? What if this is all just a waste of time and I feel like a total mug and all my hopes that Jesus could, could be resurrected, could be with us again, dashed. There's a, a risk, isn't there, in doing what Jesus tells us to do. And we need faith to walk in obedience and do the things he asks us to, trusting that he'll be where he's called us to go. Jesus says go, and we have to take, you know, we have to step into the risk and trust that he'll be in the place where we go. So our posture when hearing these words is to be like these disciples, going where Jesus tells us to go because we've got faith in him, because it's him telling us to do it. He's the source of the mission. Verse 17, it says, they worship Jesus. In, in verse 9, the women did the same when they saw the resurrected Christ. They, when they all saw Jesus, it led to worship. Whatever it was they saw in him, they worshipped him. And there's some hints in the passage as to what they saw in Jesus that made them worship him. Verse 19, it talks of him being the son of God, that he's the invisible God made visible to us, come down to us in human flesh as we've been celebrating this Christmas, so that we can see exactly what God is like. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth, secondly, he's the son of man. It echoes Daniel 7, which talks about one like the son of man. And the Son of Man has all things under his feet. He reigns and rules over everything. Everything is put in subjection to him. He's got all authority in heaven, all philosophical, spiritual, metaphysical, religious power is under him. And he's got all authority on earth. All political, social, physical, economic power is beneath him and in subjection to him. They see him as the Lord. He's the one who commands 
obedience. He's the one with worldwide authority, universal authority, executive power. He's the CEO of the universe. He has complete control, reign and rule over everything. He's the Lord of all life. They see him as the great teacher. He's the one who says, teach people to observe all I've commanded, all I've taught you, all I've shown you. Verse 20, he's taught them everything by his life, words, and deeds. He knows the beginning from the end, and he's taught them everything, and he's lived his life with them. He's their teacher. They see him, fifth, as son of Abraham. Verse 19, it says, all nations. Jesus is the blessing to all nations promised Abraham. Abraham was promised that your family will be a blessing to the nations. Jesus is that fulfillment. He's a son of Abraham. All the families of the earth are his. And finally, verse 20, they see him as Emmanuel, God with us. Said at the beginning of Matthew in 1.23 that Jesus was going to be Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus says, I'm with you. That he's with us always. He's the one that the Old Testament prophesies about. I will never leave you or forsake you. And Jesus confirms that and says, I will be with you always. What they saw... In Jesus, in that moment, all of these things led them to worship him. And that should be the same for us, shouldn't it? When you you see Jesus afresh, when you spend time with him, it makes you want to worship him. He's just so full of glory. He's so good. Things we've been singing about this morning, you see him fresh. You want to worship him. And what they saw in Jesus as well led, gave them faith for the future of the church. All that they saw in Jesus and learned from him, from that moment on when Jesus gives this command, the disciples spread out everywhere and start establishing churches throughout the known world. So what they saw in Jesus from this point led to the church being established. So when we see Jesus as he really is, that will give us faith for the future of the church. It will give us faith for the future of us as a church here as new life in Beckles. So when we see Jesus as he is, when we worship him in spirit wholeheartedly and in truth and understanding the reality of who, it is, who he is, it will lead to faith for the church. So do we have faith for the future of the church here in Beckles, in Bungie, Halesworth, surrounding villages? If you see Jesus fresh and he reveals to you himself in all his glory, it'll give you faith for what he's doing here. I don't know how you think of church. Do you think it's kind of like just on the decline? Is it dying out? Is it a bit of a lost hope? Does it look like it's not really going anywhere? If you see Jesus, you'll see it very differently with eyes of faith that tell you that it the future of the church is glorious. And Revelation 21 is coming with a beautiful bride prepared for Christ. And we're going to be there in that moment. The disciples saw Jesus as he is and so they realized if Jesus says, go, nothing is going to get in his way. It's his command. It's going to happen. It can't, nothing can stop it. There's nothing in the way of their accomplishing the task with Jesus except for their disobedience. And there's nothing in the way of our accomplishing the task of going and making disciples of all nations with Jesus 
except for our disobedience. See, the mission, this will be accomplished. It's inevitable. It is going to happen. The only question is, is whether we're going to join in or not. We can either not, and it will happen anyway without us, or we do, and it happens, and we get to be part of it. The mission will be accomplished because of the mission source, because it's coming from Jesus. So verse 19, he says, Go therefore, therefore, on the basis of Jesus and who he is, go and make disciples of all nations. His authority in verse 18 makes his all-encompassing mission of verse 19 possible. His rule over the world makes possible our mission to the world. So that's Jesus is the source of our mission. Uh, Jesus is God, and by God by nature is a sender. It's part of his character. And throughout the Old Testament, we see this on and on. If you look at any story, God is constantly sending people, telling them to go. He says to Abraham, go from your country. To Isaiah, who will go for us? Here I am, Lord, send me. To Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give. God continually sending And so there are two major consequences of this. The first is that as a people, as a church, as a family, we are by nature sent. We're sent because we reflect the image of God. And when he calls us, he sends us. We're not settled here in Beckles. Jess and I sometimes talk about, oh, we long to be settled in Beckles and not be in the middle of a house move. We're just longing for a house. We've got a viewing on Monday. That would be great. So we really want to be here, but we've got to remember we're not, getting, we're not coming to be settled in Beckles. As Christians, we're never settled. We're always on the move. We're always on mission. We're always on a, a war footing, as it were, in the midst of battle. The Bible says that we're ambassadors of Christ's kingdom, that, we're, that our home, our settledness, is in heaven. That's where we're citizens. That's our home. That's where we belong. And we're outposted here on mission in the world. That our home is really there with him. That we're on a spiritual pilgrimage that completes when we reach eternity. That the journey's never over until we reach home and we see Jesus face to face in heaven. And until then, our posture is go. The second thing is that we go with boundless confidence. We're conquering ambassadors. A bit like when explorers used to come from lands afar, they'd land on the land or or on the moon, and plant their flag. So this, this is ours. As we go along, we confidently plant the flag. Beckles belongs to Christ. Bungie belongs to Christ. Halesworth belongs to Christ. Conquering ambassadors on mission for Jesus, going with boundless confidence. So the question is, are we living out this sentness Or do we feel settled? Are we, as a church, going with boundless confidence that this mission will be accomplished because the mission source is Jesus? Verse 17, we might be in the place of some of those disciples who doubted. They doubted perhaps this was Jesus resurrected, doubted maybe they were seeing a vision, doubted if what they were seeing was real or what he said was possible. And perhaps you're, you're here today and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, 
You, you would doubt in the same way that those disciples did that this man really resurrected from the dead. Well, we'd love to give you a book to read about that, to consider the evidence that Jesus really rose from the dead and is alive today and reigns and rules over the whole world. And if that's you this morning, just come say hi at the end. I'd love to uh, give you a, a book to read and hear what you think of it. But maybe we as disciples here, um, we can live like these disciples in, the, in between worship and doubt, in between adoration and wondering, about, in between trusting him, but also questioning whether it will really happen. I wonder if you've got questions, doubts, just like these disciples did when they saw Jesus, things you're uncertain of. That's a normal part of Christian life. Part of the experience of being a disciple of Jesus is living between worship and doubt sometimes. It's how we overcome those doubts. And it's by trusting. I regularly doubt whether a chair will hold my weight. But I don't find out by looking at it. I sit on it and suffer the embarrassment of discovering that my trust was misplaced. Or I sit on it and find it holds my weight. It's the same with Jesus. You step out and you trust him. And then when you trust him, you find out whether the chair could hold the weight, whether he was true to his word. Because faith in action is obedience. Jesus commands us to do this, and our part to play is obeying him. That's what faith looks like. Jesus tells you to do something, you do it. Obedience. And as a church, when I say Vision Sunday, oh, it's really exciting, we'll find out something, you know, something buzzy and creative uh, something Jesus said 2,000 years ago that we're still trying to do and live out because our job as a church is not to innovate so we've got this 30 something new leader who's coming along I'm, you know, bright, brighten the place up I'm sure we have some you know, <laughs> I don't have many innovative ideas in fact I'm pretty sure I don't have any I'm basi- I'd basically copy most things from you'd, you'd see elsewhere very rarely I think do many of us have a genuinely original thought most of the time we go, that looks good. I think that will work here. We just might have to do it slightly different. Because we're not here to innovate as a church. We're here to obey the Great Commission. It should frame everything that we do. So Luke 17, you remember when Jesus asks, gets asked by his disciples, increase your faith, doesn't he? Oh, sorry, increase our faith. Increase Jesus' faith. And can't get any more. He says increase our faith. And Jesus doesn't give them like a a manual about how to do that or pray for them or anything else. In fact, what he tells them is basically little faith is enough to uproot a tree and dump it in the sea. He goes, don't worry, you've got enough of it to uproot a tree and dump it in that sea over there. See, the material of Jesus' mission, his tools for the task are imperfect, frail, weak, sometimes doubting, ordinary people of little faith. That's, that's his tools for the mission. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he said earlier in Matthew, who are aware of their lack and need for Jesus. Not blessed are those who have it all together, those who've got all their theological convictions sorted out and in neat boxes, not those who have life tidied and look impressive. Blessed are the poor in spirit who know they desperately need Jesus to do any of this and to see the mission accomplished. Jesus is not waiting for you to have it all together. He's not waiting for you to be more impressive. He's not waiting for you to be more mature. He's not waiting till you've got it together. He can use you just as you are right now 
He comes to you right now in all your weakness, all your frailty, all of your inability. And he says, go. He doesn't say, wait until you kind of, you know, as mature as so-and-so. He says, now, go. So the question is, will you go on the basis that Jesus is the source of our mission? As an act of worship and obedience to him. And then Jesus issues the mission uh, command. Um, He issues four commands, or one command with four aspects, however you want to look at it. He says, go, disciple all nations, baptize and teach. So what, what does Jesus mean by go? Well, he means move out. He means get moving, make extensive decisions, reach out, seek others out. He wants us to spread. And so the disciples go from this little place in Galilee where they'd lived pretty much all their life with the occasional trip to Jerusalem and Jesus touring them around a little bit more than they probably would have wanted. And they spread out across the known world. Incredible. Jesus doesn't go to them one by one, visit Bartholomew and then Matthew. and He visits them as a community. He gets all the disciples together. And this isn't a command to establish and discover our own personal calling or ministry. It's a command to us as a gathered church, as a family, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It's not an individual mission. It's not a personal mission. It's us as a family together, our whole life framed by what he's asked us to do, to go. The second thing is to disciple all nations. Discipleship's... um, a bit like a coin. I've got one, I think. Here we go. The kids didn't throw them all out this morning when they were playing with my phone. That's good. Um, discipleship's like a coin. On the one side, you've got witnessing to Jesus, sharing about him, telling others who don't know Jesus what he's like, what he's done for them, and having conversation and sharing Jesus with them and also allowing them to see your life and allowing them to see his supernatural love work through you and then when people become persuaded of the gospel we baptize them and that's the flipping of the coin as it were and on the other side of the coin discipleship is teaching people to obey all that Jesus has commanded quite often in church life we've often thought of discipleship as being maturing a believer from one point to another point where they become more like Jesus that's only one part of discipleship it's both Witnessing to Jesus, telling people about him, seeing them convinced and baptised, and also teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And so that's what Jesus means when he says disciple. It means a learner or a follower. Christians are disciples of Jesus, learners of Jesus, learners of who he is and his ways, his character and his ways, who he is and what he does. He commands obedience not to a particular denomination, to a particular group of churches or to a theology. Jesus commands obedience to him, wholehearted commitment to him as a person and what he calls us to. To disciple means to make a student of, to school, mentor, apprentice. I love this from uh, one writer, Bruno. He says this, Jesus wants to create intimate communities, close churches, Places where people live in good fellowship with each other. Such communities require disciples at their heart. People who work with other people in small groups. Up close apprenticing. Discipling means our life will involve spending time with people. Quality time. 
They'll be talking together. They'll be in, and w- in one another's homes. They'll be visiting others. They'll be spending t- time together. It's a group dynamic. It's a family dynamic. Often people can think of discipleship as a one-to-one thing because of some kind of you know, bit of tradition in church life. But if you look at Jesus and how he discipled, he does almost no one-to-one discipling. I can think of a couple of encounters where he's one-on-one with a person. But as his normal pattern of life, he disciples people in groups. He spends time with Peter, James, and John as a close inner three. He spends time with the 12 disciples. And he spends time with crowds and teaching them. And so discipling is a group dynamic. We don't have a kind of guru, as it were. Uh, We don't need a teacher. We don't need a discipler, a mentor. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that mentoring shouldn't happen. What I'm saying is is that the dynamic of just one-on-one isn't the way that Jesus did it. And that you can have this thing where... um, So I'm reading a bit about discipleship in a minute. And one of the popular things to do is somebody starts a discipleship group, which this person called a huddle, they gather these 8 to 12 people around them, and that person disciples the rest of the group. Now, um, there are lots of things about that model which are great. But the one problem with it is, is that it effectively, the person leading the huddle takes the place of Jesus, and everybody else listens and gets discipled. Now, I understand that there's a place where um, di- difference in maturity and length of time of walking with Jesus and so on. But when you're sat in a group of disciples of Jesus, listening to one another, I think regardless of who you are, you can be discipled by somebody else in the group, can't you? And learn from others. Just because you might have walked with Jesus for longer, I mean, if you have, and you've you kind of mature in faith, we're walking with Jesus faithfully for a long time, you'll understand this dynamic. You often learn things from people who... Um, maybe younger in the faith. And that's the dynamic of discipleship. It's messy. It's not clean one-on-one, I'm, I'm the guru, I, I know how to follow Jesus, just watch my entire life. Because what happens in a one-to-one discipleship is you get discipled into all of the weaknesses, failings, and problems with that one person. <laughs> so you can imagine a church where one person disciples a smaller team and they all disciple the smaller team, and so on. And all you get is a church full of people who've picked up all the bad habits of the guy who originally started all the... Do you see what I mean? So discipleship's much broader. Jesus comes to us as a family, and we disciple uh, one another, and we play the different roles and parts we have in the body. I've gone way off task. Sorry. I must have had a beer in my bonnet about something. Uh, command words. G- Jesus, <laughs> one writer says about these words, they're slow words, disciple, baptize, teach. We take time. We carefully, gently live among one another, in one another's lives, talk about Jesus. We baptize the convinced and we teach increasing loyalty to him. So Jesus, when he issues this command, he issues the command in Galilee. Which might, might seem a bit odd. He takes them back to the disciples, back to the place where it all started, a place of small beginnings. The, the disciples in Matthew's gospel call it the Sea of Galilee. One, I'd never noticed this, but one commentator pointed out they call it the Sea of Galilee, like this huge body of water that's a sea. It's a lake. Cosmopolitan Luke, who's a doctor, physician, historian, well-travelled, he calls it 
a lake. These Galilean disciples call it a sea. It's a sea. And the point is that Jesus has taken them back to this place. Sorry, I keep banging this. Um, Taking them back to this place where it's a reminder of their small beginnings. He's going to take their small, little lives and he's going to lift their vision. And he's going to show them a worldwide horizon. Tradition tells us Thomas made it to India, Bartholomew to Caspian Sea, Andrew to Europe. These little, simple Galileans spread out all over the known world. I wonder where some folk from the Waveney Valley might end up. (laughs) Jesus' command means the world is our parish. It makes us world persons, not parochial, only concerned with our little corner of the world here in Beckles or Bungie or Hellsworth. It makes us world people, a family who long to see this mission accomplished in the nations. It gives us world vision. And that's why as part of our giving day we go to something like 2020. Because we're not just about here. We're about churches being planted across Norfolk and North Suffolk. We, didn't, we gave to Kenya because we're not just about here. We're about Jesus on mission in the nations. Jesus' lordship, his reign and rule extends over the whole earth. It's not just Beckles. It affects every nation on earth throughout all of time. Everywhere, in every place, nowhere is exempt. Jesus reigns and rules over everywhere. I think there's one famous quote, isn't there? There's nothing in all of creation that, uh, over which Christ does not cry, mine, something like that, I've paraphrased it. Everything in creation is his. Bruner again says this, Disciples will always feel a holy dissatisfaction with the limitation of their own small circles, and so turn their eyes out to the most all-encompassing circle of all, all nations. And so that's part of the reason we're having Vlada and Sonia. I heard that they were around, and we grabbed at the opportunity. Because I want to hear what's going on in Serbia. We can pray for Serbia. We're a people of all nations. We want to see this happen in Serbia. We might not be intimately involved with it, but we can certainly hear their story, be stirred in faith and pray for them, can't we? To see this mission happen there. The third thing Jesus says is uh, baptize. Um, part of discipleship's witnessing, I'd, I'd said that, people become convinced, they decide to become a learner and disciple of Jesus, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and the Spirit. It's the instinct of the church since Pentecost when Peter preached to 3,000. They got saved and were baptized. They got baptized into the family of God, the blue sky delight of the Father in heaven, speaking down on his beloved children, saying, you're my son, you're my daughter, in you I delight. And when we're baptized, we're baptized into that. The Father delights over us for eternity. And we enjoy the forgiveness of of our sins, knowing that Jesus has died and risen again for us. We're also baptized into the nucleus of receiving the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us for the mission that we're on. The fourth thing is teach. So what what should we be teaching people? It says, everything I have commanded you. Teach people to observe all I have commanded you. Slightly overwhelming, isn't it? (laughs) We're summed up by love God with all your heart and all your soul, all your strength and all your mind. And love your neighbour as yourself. The major landmark of our church life and of being a true disciple will be living out all that Jesus has taught us. Walking in obedience 
to loving God and loving others. Jesus says that in John 8, 31, if you abide in my words, if you do them, you're truly my disciples. John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Obeying Jesus is how we express our worship. Faith in action is obedience. It's difficult to teach obedience, isn't it? If you're not obeying him yourself. How we express our worship to Jesus is by obeying him. And we teach people in three ways. We do it on a Sunday and in house groups. That's kind of almost like a, to compare it to a classroom environment. Somebody's talking or sharing, everybody else is listening. That's one way that we learn. That's traditionally the way that churches disciple and teach people. Sunday mornings and in groups midweek. They're both basically the same kind of environment. But there's other ways as well in which Jesus teaches his disciples. He apprenticed them. He said, come along with me. I'll show you how to do this. And then I want you to go away and do it. He said, the kingdom's come, healed the sick, and then he sent them away and told them to go and do the same thing. He's apprenticing them. He's showing them, this is how we do it. Now you go away and do it. And the third way he did it was by immersion. For roughly 18 months of Jesus' three years of earthly ministry, he spent it solely with 12 people. Now, if you were trying to make a movement spread across the world and you only had three years till you were going to be crucified, resurrected, and then ascend, strategically, I might have gone a bit broader. (laughs) Would you? But Jesus doesn't. He immerses these 12 people in his life and then they go and live like he did, basically. And that's the way that we're to teach one another. Yes, it will happen here on a Sunday morning and in house groups. But if we're in one another's lives, we apprentice each other. So this is the way that Jesus prayed. Pray with me. Well, they see our lives, they get immersed in it, and they kind of catch the way that Jesus lived his life. In the grit of day-to-day life, people see Jesus in our life together and learn from him. Observing all Jesus commanded is about a way of life. It's not about information sharing. Often we can think about a Bible study you know, we discuss what the Bible says and we talk about it and we say what we think it means and walk away. That is not discipleship. That's looking at, that's information sharing. The Bible says this, I think it says this, what do you think? It says this. Okay, great. You've shared information. Nobody's been discipled. You're just looking at the Bible and reading what it says and discussing it. Now I'm not saying that's not a value, but if you don't get to the place where you obey the thing you were reading and looking at, discipleship never happens. The question really is, how are you doing at obeying the thing that you read? Jesus tells us to do this. This is what it says in his word. How are we learning from Jesus in this? What does it look like in our lives? So one question to constantly be asking ourselves in house groups is, and in relationships with one another, what's Jesus teaching you at the moment? What are you learning from him? Less about, like, it's great, let's study the Bible. Let's absolutely drench ourselves in scripture. But if we never move to the place where we ask, what are you learning from Jesus? We're never actually discipling one another because that's the key thing. If you're my disciples, you'll abide in my words and live them out. And the third and final thing is mission support. 
What kind of support is Jesus offering? Verse 20 says, I'm with you always. It's the offer of the dynamic help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' very presence, his empowering presence with us. It's not a lingering in the background. It's more of like a, I will fight for you. It's the offer of protection, of defense, to enable our obedience to Jesus' command here. If you think about these kind of war films, you know when somebody's going to go out, going to go over the top, um, vulnerable to enemy fire, and then all his comrades send him out over the top. (laughs) Good luck, old buddy. And they they offer um, covering fire, don't they? To enable him to obey the command of whoever instructed him to do it. Jesus instructs us to go, and he offers covering fire to enable us to obey him and fulfill his command. He'll provide the wisdom, courage, effectiveness, creativity, and fruitfulness we need on mission. He says this knowing that we'll face opposition. People won't like what we say. They'll think it's rubbish. They'll say we don't know what we're talking about. They'll dismiss it. They'll deride us and mistreat us because of it. We'll face um, persecution. People will um, have mistreated Jesus' disciples on the basis of what what they're saying. People have been killed for it. We'll suffer. Jesus knows that, so he says he will be with us always, all the days. It's an offer until he returns and consummates all of history. His with usness is not for the good days. It's not for when you're up for it. It's not, I'll come and support you when you kind of had a good time with God in the morning. It's not when you feel spiritually together, when you've prayed enough or started the day off well. It's for all days. It's every day from now until when Jesus returns. He offers mission support. He will be with us as we do this. And it's confirmation as well that the mission will be completed. There's an inevitability about it. That one day all the nations, every nation, tribe and tongue will be gathered before the throne of God. Worshipping Jesus and declaring he is worthy. The Lamb is worthy for all eternity. So how do we receive the support we need to do this, what seems frankly overwhelming and impossible task? What do we as a church, how do we receive the support? Obedience to the command is the condition of the promise of Jesus' empowering presence. If If you're not on mission, you don't need mission support. It's the soldier at war who needs support, isn't it? The couch potato back at home doesn't need it. It's the person who's at war, who's on mission footing, who's in the midst of battle. They're the one who needs support. So when we're in the midst of battle, when we're on mission, Jesus promises his empowering presence to allow us to do it. He assures us that he will be with us in the midst of opposition, suffering, persecution, derision, in the midst of doubt, when we worship him and obey him and obey his command to go and disciple all nations, baptize and teach. The band like to come up and we'll, we'll respond in a, in a moment. There's, um, there's risk and faith needed in going where Jesus tells us to go and trusting he'll be there. But Jesus' authority precedes and succeeds his command. He covers, supports, and surrounds us as a church family as we go on mission together. So if you're feeling like you lack creativity, 
Maybe you lack courage. You think sharing Jesus with people just doesn't come naturally. I find it very difficult. Um, Everyone finds it difficult. Um, If you're lacking a sense of get up and go, if you're lacking energy for the mission, if you're kind of sat in church going, some of these people have got a lot of energy for church stuff and for doing this Christian life. I don't know where they get it from. (laughs) They're obviously just very enthusiastic. He's 34. That's probably where he gets it from. (laughs) It's It's not the case. It's when you step out in faith, Jesus sends his spirit, his empowering presence, to help us. I loved what Jane was sharing at the church family meeting, if, if you weren't there. But Jane was basically saying, I hope this is all right, Jane, um, seeing as you said it publicly once already. Was that <laughs> when she was out um, sharing the love of God with, and giving gifts away at the Beckles light switch on, she said, you know, I was really nervous, wasn't entirely sure I was up for it. And, and then when you started speaking to people, Jane you felt this kind of excitement and rush inside, didn't you? And suddenly, oh, I'm quite excited about it. This is good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly that. I think that's how you explained it on the phone. Um, And and that's that's what happens. What what happened was, Jane went, I'm not sure I can do this. Welcome to the club. None of us can. And then she stepped out and started doing it. And the Holy Spirit's empowering presence came, bang, and she could. Had she gone, I'm not sure I can do this, I might go and fiddle with the gazebo decorations or pull a sickie or whatever it might have been, she wouldn't have known that God's empowering presence, his spirit, would come and help her to do the thing that she was going to do. True? The spirit's empowering presence comes when we step out in faith, in obedience, and do the thing that Jesus has asked us to do as a church. And so there should constantly be that sense of, as a church family, oh... I hope God comes through on this one. Feeling a little bit on the edge of things here. A bit out of my comfort zone. And that's when we'll feel the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit enabling us to do all that he's commanded us. Isn't that encouraging? Should we stand and get ready to worship?